You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson and Sarah Raven. In this episode, we're joined by a guest, Rachel Siegfried, of Green and Gorgeous Flowers. For those of you that follow Rachel on her Instagram, you'll be very familiar with her incredible cut flower farm of pure abundance, rows of roses, ranunculus. Often she's accompanied by a beautiful dog and I know she's got chickens and it's a real pleasure, Rachel, to have you with us because I remember you coming to Perch Hill a few years ago now to do a course on on flower farming, not flower gardening, but flower farming, because it really is for you and your partner a proper business, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. Um, thank you, Arthur, for that lovely introduction and to Sarah as well for asking me to to come on. It's it's always a joy to talk to talk flowers and particularly roses, which are one of my favourites. Uh, yes, so it is with my partner Ashley, very much our a full time occupation uh, and lifestyle. So we we live here on on the flower farm. We've been here thirteen years, and we're up we're up to five acres now that we're farming. Wow. So so it's quite an enterprise. Yes. Yes, you need to update your website. It says two acres. So you've gone up since. <laughs> Does then. it? Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> I've been too busy out there. You see, I haven't got time to update it. But Rachel, that's interesting that you've managed to spread because I think of you. You're between sort. You're just off the M40 between Oxford and Reading, kind of. And I think of that as such sort of prime uh, land. It's it's rather brilliant that you've managed to get more land to just expand. You know, out at your boundaries. Well, we do we do rent the land. We don't own this. Yeah. Um, and when we when we first took it on, we had that extra three acre field sitting there, just literally doing nothing, but with a view to gradually moving moving it forward. And we're hoping to get up to six acres if I can persuade the landowner to uh, let me have another tunnel. That's what I'm working on at the moment. Okay. So how many tunnels have you got now? I'm up to four, but yeah, I would definitely like maybe one or two more. Definitely more for roses, Spanish tunnels. That's what we use for those. So they just have a sort of summer rain cover, if you like. Yeah. And so that's to keep the damp off the bloom. It is. And it does actually really help prevent black spot as well, because you don't get the the uh, the rain splashing Oh. the spores back up onto the plants oh. so it keeps them very clean without um having to spray or you know because we we grow organically we don't use any chemicals on our roses or any of our flowers i know you use salvias so i'm quite i'm really quite interested to try that as well yeah, yeah. It, it has been a real success here i mean as you know more than anyone and we'll come on to this it's it's down to variety but then how to grow them and we find salvias is is just a sort of key part of that trio. So good soil, da-da-da, but, but salvias and variety, really. But will you talk us through how you feel a healthy rose is best grown? Well, I always like to start with a bare root rose. 
partly because I'm buying quite a few and of course they're cheaper, but I think they're healthier and it's much better to plant in the dormant season. Um, I think really good ground preparation is is absolutely key and careful planting. I mean, it'll take us a full day to plant a row, which is about 30 to 40 roses. And that's just two people. And that's a full day of really, you know, digging, making big, big holes, putting in masses of well-rotted horse manure, you know, good organic matter. We use the mycorrhizal, which is great for bare root because you can get it right onto the roots. And then feeding, when they actually do start to grow, we feed weekly through the through the entire season they're all repeat flowering roses that we grow obviously because I need I need lots of stems to pick I can't just have them one big flush in June and nothing else uh so yes I I think it's really key I think a lot of people don't feed their roses enough yeah I agree yeah it can apply to the garden as well whether you're just growing them to look at them you still need to keep Mm. them deadheaded and fed and it's it, they're a lot of work, you know, but but then they're so worth it, aren't they? Do you cut them from the first year you've planted them, Rachel, or do you give them a year to bulk up or are you cutting them straight away? I actually don't cut them. Right. I have I I deadhead them, but just lightly, but I don't pick the stems into the second year. So you let them get that structure and then yeah. second year you start to cut them. It's really about getting their roots, getting, you know, all that energy into the roots and not depleting the plants until it's Mm. well established. Yeah. Yeah. What are you using to to feed, in fact? Well, we use something called Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic, which I expect you've heard of. I discovered it because I used to go to Hampton Court Flower Show just so I could go to the Rose Marquee back in the day. And I talked to all the rose breeders and get advice about, well, they didn't really know which ones were good for cutting. That wasn't really their department. But anyway, they all seem to use Uncle Tom's Rose Tonic. So they told me to give it a go. And um, we start off with a foliar feed when the, the leaves first emerge. And yeah. once, once they get going, we then just put it through our irrigation system. So it's called um, fertigation. Uh, and we use a, a handy gadget called a dosatron. But um, it's, yeah, it's fine to, to just feed it, you know, with a can directly into the into the roots. And do you know what's in that, what, what it's based on? Do you know, I don't. Okay. Ash, my partner Ash could tell you. Okay. <laughs> I can never remember. <laughs> we'll, 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 put it, we'll put it in the podcast <laughs> notes if anyone wants yeah. to know. He, I know that what it does is it sort of strengthens the leaves and creates a, a kind of shield, okay, which yeah. is meant to make it be able to sort of bat away black spots and rust. And I don't think it do, it doesn't work on aphids. And I actually last year, and I've got to have a bit of a moan now, had terrible red spider mite. <gasps> okay, mm. okay. And what did you do roses? about that? Yeah. I didn't really do anything. No. <laughs> which is my usual approach. Yes. The best approach. Because I don't, I mean, what can you do, you know, yeah. with yeah. that? It's, yeah. uh, maybe I should, you should have used some of the um, stuff you use on the mites for the chickens. The diamitous earth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is organic. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, they are completely different species. 
um, Ma- the red may- light. Maybe just try one plant light. before you run yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> wouldn't start going through the polytunnel with a spray gun. Um, yeah, but they're both a, mites, though, aren't they? They are, but they are. They're different. I mean, one is a blood sucker, and the other is a is an aphid. <laughs> Sap is sucker, an, an aphid. So, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to advocate rose garden. <laughs> I'll have a lot of a lot of moans on my Instagram account if we start down that one. Oh, all right then. I'll stop. I'll stop on that track then. How many people have you heard? I've definitely heard of about three people who use chemicals in their garden, and they they spray their roses with a insect i mean not an insecticide a, a herbicide like roundup rather than rather than a fungicide oh god and the whole lot is just like oh dear our entire roses oh, have, are now wow. dead <laughs> so i don't i wouldn't recommend that <laughs> no. no yeah it's a tricky one but um i think obviously covering them probably makes that worse so yeah. growing them out in the elements is is not going to be. I'm sure that wouldn't happen. Um, let's mm. hope not, anyway. And what about things like Epsom salts? Do you ever have you ever used them? Which no, are, I haven't. And no. bicarb is the other. So those two things um, sometimes are used by organic growers. I think. Yeah. Um, just soon after yes. planting. Can we move on to varieties? So yes. Will you tell us? I don't know. Maybe your top Ooh, three yes. or five. Oh, I've got more like top 50 here, but oh, okay. <laughs> I'll try and keep right. it. Okay, okay. top well, 10. Top 10 then. No, I mean, the, the thing is, I obviously I'm growing roses for our, the different ways that we, we sell, which is through weddings and events, through our farm gates. So there they need to have a bit more vase life perhaps. So I grow roses for different reasons, but they all need to be very um, productive. That's number one for me. And I suppose... For weddings, they don't need to have quite as long a vase life, but they need to be incredibly, you know, blousy, romantic, um, Mm. scented, generally quite pastel. So I do grow quite a few David Austin roses for that purpose. And I suppose Mm. something like um, favourites would be Queen of Sweden. I think that's a fantastic David Austin rose for cutting because Mm. it holds its heads quite upright and the flowers aren't too... You know, with a lot, a lot of David Austens, they can be a little bit heavy, which mm. is yeah. lovely if you're doing a bowl arrangement or something. They work very well, but in a bouquet, they can be a bit tricky. I also really like Port Sunlight out of the David Austens for cutting. That is brilliant and fairly thorn free, which when you're cutting a lot of roses becomes quite appealing. <laughs> mm. yes, what colour is that? I don't know, Port Sunlight. It's an apricot rose. Oh, okay. it's brilliant. It's one of the best ones for repeat flowering out of the David Austens. And mm. it has this lovely dark stem with an apricot orangey flower. I think mm. I think you'd like it. Yeah, bit like Grace. Good. Is it Grace? Yeah. Bit like that, similar. And then for I I personally love uh, a hedgerow dog rose kind of looking rose. Yeah. So mutabilis has always got yeah. to be in my garden. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what yeah. a fantastic. And it does cut. Glauca, just purely for its foliage. Um, we actually prune that very hard so we don't get the flowers. I just literally want the foliage from that. Um, and then I don't know if you've tried um, Sally Holmes. That's a very vigorous shrub rose with big clusters of sort of mm. peachy buds that open to white single flowers. Uh, mm. it's, it's, it literally does not stop flowering from June till September. Gosh, fantastic. 
you know, for us, we have to do for event work quite large installation work where we need scale and that will do an arch, a big pedestal, things like that beautifully. And then I suppose for Vars Life, I'd be looking more at hybrid teas. Yeah. I really like using hybrid teas. And some of the ones that have been bred to look a bit more cabbage-like, something like Duchess of Cornwall. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, it's a good... Yeah. It's, You'd think it was almost a David Austin, wouldn't you? You would. People, people scoff quite... When you say hybrid tea, people scoff, don't they? I've noticed that. They just want to hear the words David Austin, but some of the teas do. are gorgeous. They really are. And they also have... They have good stem length as well. Mm. So if you're needing to do lots of bouquet, like gift bouquets that mm. we do in our farm gate or for delivery, that's the kind of shape that we need to put into mixed bouquets. Chris Beardshaw's lovely. Oh, in all ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a nice big blousy pink number hybrid oh, tea. Gosh. And then I look at some of the actual ones that've been bred for cutting. Have you tried? I see you've got Honey Dijon. Mm. Um, and obviously there's Coca Loco, but there's I mm. think an even better one called Stephen Rouleau. Not oh. the most glamorous name. Stephen, but and is um, it in that sort of strange uh, sort of milky coffee palette yeah it is it's it's sort of got mustardy yeah mustard mixed with gray buds but then open to gray and then fade to lilac it is gosh. quite something else and gosh, people it gosh. stops people in their tracks here and it cuts beautifully it lasts in the vase and it it repeats all summer I find it so funny. I don't know if you do, Rachel, that, that the sort of roses that I was brought up on, the colours of roses that that I was just told by my parents that were the most hideous things that, that just were absolutely revolting, which were sort of mauves and mustards are, and, yeah. and cafe au lait are now the most fashionable roses you can possibly grow. I mean, you, you can't yeah. grow something like good old Gertrude Jekyll or Constance Spry because they're just too conventional and boring because they're sort of, you know, rich pink. You know, we've all got to be growing these incredibly strange, muted 1970s paintwork yeah. colours, haven't we? I mean, it's funny because with my customers, I do find that the older generation are actually quite offended by my Stephen Rouleau's. Yeah. I had one woman who came in and she was really rude about them and said they were absolutely like revolting. Yeah. And yeah. then I think she felt bad because she came in the following week with a gift and a card for me to apologize for being rude oh. about my rose. Oh. I know. I know. Oh, that's I was nice. like, it's okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's so sweet. Um, yeah. Arthur, what are your, what are your faves? My favourite rose ever is one called Summer Song, which is a David Austin. But as I'm sure Rachel has found, it is a bit like a flamingo. It likes to dip its head, unfortunately. But um, in a border, I do love that for a really punchy orange. And the next one would probably have to be Charles flower, de Miller, actually. Ah, oh, yes. I've just taken it out of the garden. Have you? What's that? Well, I loved it, but it, it, uh, the thing is about it, I remember reading Vita Sattva West saying that the runners of Charles de Mille were much healthier and more prolific flowering than the mother plants. And so what we've done mm. is we've actually allowed the runners to naturalise in the borders around, and it runs for six foot underground. It's gone right wow. under a path here. 
and comes up the other side of the path. And it is true that the babies three or four years later are actually just much more flowery. And um, there's, I mean, it's a pretty healthy rose, as you say, anyway. And of course, it's got incredible scent. Any others, either of you? Oh, God. I've got so many. Have you tried any of the um, antique series? They are specifically grown by commercial cut flower growers. There's caramel antique. But you can oh. grow it outside just as a regular rose. And again, it's it's got that very cabbage, very full cabbagey shape. Great vase life, probably one of the longest. And But is that available to the gardener or is that it only is, available? It is available, yes. Another one, if you like soft, soft yellows, I would recommend is Irish Hope, which is a Florabunda. I do quite mm. like a Florabunda and that one has literally about 30 flowers on every stem. You only need one wow. stem <laughs> in an arrangement. It's just a masses of these very small little vanilla ice cream coloured, perfectly formed flowers really that's a real favorite and then um it, it sort of maybe moving on from i mean think tell us more varieties if you think of them but moving on from that so how from the moment that you have planted them then you pick them what do you do what what's the process of conditioning and, and stuff you know this is the other beauty of having different ways of selling flowers because um obviously for weddings i want them to be quite i want them to be quite open generally but I always pick my flowers early, my roses, what well, any flowers, early, early in the morning, particularly roses. I won't, if I'm doing a wedding, I pick them the morning that I'm arranging that wedding because, Gosh, you know, they don't have the longest vase life. Uh, so mm. I want them to look as fresh as possible. And then, yeah, I just, I strip the thorns if I need to, if I'm going to use them to make up bouquets. If they're just going in a vase, I like to leave the, the thorns on. Because I think actually they're they're part of the beauty of the of the flower, aren't they? You don't mm. want to see a stripped stem. It's it's not very attractive, is it? Um, no. And then all I do is make a very sharp angular cut, plunge them into a deep bucket of water, and then they go into our chiller or just somewhere somewhere cool and dark for a, for a few hours, just to have a bit of a drink before we start working with them. Yeah. And then um, sort of how many events will you be doing? So now we're in early June through the next few months. How many will you be doing? Uh, well, this I, I've got about 40 weddings at the moment. And I'd Gosh. say 40 to 50 is the normal amount for me. Weddings, okay. yeah. mostly a few parties, that type of thing. Um, and then on top of that, of course, the workshops and the farm gate as well, yeah. And what what are you putting with your roses? What are your sort of favourite things to mix in with them? Oh, uh, at the moment, uh, I love using clematis. I've got a bit obsessed with herbaceous clematis varieties, and I'm I'm doing a bit of a trial. I, I planted quite as many varieties as I could get my hands on last year, um, so I'm just seeing which ones pick well. But they do pick well, don't they? They're lovely. Mm. And then I guess sweet peas uh, and then all the kind of hardy annuals. I love nigella, uh, Delft blue, Dorcas, Dara is a favorite, uh, larkspurs, foxgloves. So it's all, it is all quite cottage garden, English country garden, romantic 
sort of mm. vibe. I it, it is beautiful, the photos of your shop with the buckets of abundance. And do you love having your shop? I see it on Instagram. It looks yeah. beautiful. I love that's one of my favorite things on a Saturday morning is getting everything out that I've picked the day before that's in the chiller. And I mm. just have a quiet time. It's just me and we've got a pair of nesting swallows in our shop. So it's just oh, me wow. and the swallows just laying all my flowers out, making my shop uh, mm. and putting them all in the buckets and making it. And it's just great, isn't it? Having armfuls of flowers that you can just put together your colours and play around and make it look wonderful. And it's it's really nice to see people's reaction when they step in and and just see this mass bold over. Yeah. yeah. And are they yeah. regular customers or are they are you getting a wider audience? Do you have people coming to visit you from Instagram a lot or I do, I do get those people. I would say I have lots of very good regulars who who pretty much saved our business last year. Mm. Uh, but then during all of that, I gained a lot of new customers as well because we were yeah. doing um field to doorstep deliveries of buckets of flowers. And so mm. the word spread that way about us and when we did finally reopen in June we were three times as busy as we had been before Um, and it has continued to be that that much busier yeah I need help I need some more people to help me now it's it's got a bit (laughs) overwhelming to be honest how do you decide how much for a bunch of roses Rachel because you know these are exquisite things you're going how do you decide what to charge well, that is a difficult one, isn't it? Because you get mm. you get on each plant, it can be the same yeah. variety, say a Shandos Beauty, and some of them will produce single flowers and some of them will produce clusters. So I just give a price mm. bracket myself, I find, or right. a starting price. <laughs> and then I kind of yeah. I kind of improvise a little bit. But um but yes, you don't want to um underprice your roses that's for sure not when you think how much work goes into producing them and how risky it can be when you get these problems like pests like weather weather events i mean last may we had a very you probably had it too we had a very sharp frost and it took all the buds yeah every Mm -hmm. single bud of my roses um how terrible yeah yeah, I really do. I do wonder why we grow in such a cold place sometimes. Oh. It's <laughs> very punishing here on that front. And with the red spider mite, I mean, did they defoliate? And so were the plants compromised by that as well? They were. They were really compromised to the point where I couldn't really use that, ton- that tunnel. I had, to, oh. I had to abandon it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. And so you said you've got five tunnels and you're going to add another so will you talk us through what what's in each tunnel um at the moment they're full of ranunculus i am absolutely i am overwhelmed with ranunculus right now and tulips and anemones and then once those are finished i replace them with half hardy annuals so there'll be snapdragons zinnias and i do grow some of my my cafe lays uh in there as well sweet peas are the other thing i like to grow sweet peas in a tunnel i prefer to do that than grow them outside and they're special polytunnel varieties so you get the flowers why why do you like them undercover 
I think because of climate change, it's getting too difficult to grow them outside because by the time they come into flower in June, it's getting too hot. We just have this, we just suddenly gets roasting hot, doesn't it? And no matter what you do, doesn't matter how much you water them, uh, the stems go too short for me to, to really work with. I need that. I need that super duper stem Mm. length. So by growing the, the early ones in the tunnels, they start flowering in April, which means I can get ahead of that heat wave that seems to be happening um, around June. That's so interesting. And, and will you just talk us through when you sow and grow those and, and variety names? The, the, they're called the sunshine, well, oh, they're yes. called early multiflora types. And the sunshine series is part of that that group and I sow them in October and Mm. plant them in the tunnels in January they're Mm. not heated or anything the tunnels you know but we do obviously give them a little bit of fleece protection if it is going to get particularly cold even in the tunnel they need a little bit of protection and yeah I'm just literally starting to pick them now and they really come into their own through May June July. So they, they give you a much longer flowering period than outdoor sweet peas. And like I say, lot, a lot more length. They're not as highly scented, of course, as the lovely right, yeah. grandiflora types, but, but they are just for bouquet work. They're, they're very good. Yeah. Do you use honeysuckle, Rachel? I love honeysuckle. Yeah. I've got the um, Linistera Americana. Do you know that one? It's fair, it's particularly vigorous and it's just coming into, usually mm. it starts to flower in May, just gets going in May. So it's quite early. Yeah, I've got a few types of honeysuckle. They're all, they're all gorgeous, aren't they? Yeah, beautiful. So honey, honeysuckles are an alternative perennial hardwoody climber, aren't they, that people could grow if, if sweet peas are too much of, of a faff. And there's the yeah. perennial sweet pea too. Do you grow that one? I love the perennial sweet pea. I was going to mention that because, of course, that really gets going um, once my polytunnel ones are just sort of start, starting to mm. finish up. And okay, it's not scented, but what it makes up for that in its vigor, productivity, and, and the fact that you can pick these great long trailing vines, which, you know, for event work is brilliant. It's so easy to grow as well, yeah. isn't it? it? It's drought tolerant. It's all about shape, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we grow masses of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, climbers are so popular nowadays, aren't they? So, Well, they're so helpful, aren't they, when you've got your bunch and you just want that, you know, bird of paradise look to a bouquet. Um, yeah. yeah. So as we're moving from high, sort of early summer into high summer, will you just give us maybe three recommendations of things that people could be planting now that would give them lovely cut flower fillers right the way through into the autumn? Yeah, I mean, some of these tender perennials like pelagoniums, the centre pelagoniums, attar of roses, I particularly like. Uh, Chocolate peppermint's another one. Those are just at their very best right towards the end of summer into autumn. Uh, that's when their foliage is ripening up nicely. So they they work beautifully as a cut foliage with roses. Uh, and also, I actually do use some of the salvias. You know, something like Ember's Wishes. We grow, we oh, grow yes. lots of that. Uh, we have them in um, big troughs in our yard. So I just pick from those. 
And I also have grasses, things like uh, penicetums, you know, the late flowering, late summer flowering grasses. Um, I like to put with roses as well. Of course, masses of dahlias coming through August, September. And I love it when you get that second really good flush of roses at the same time as all your dahlias. Yes, that is special. Yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? Really becomes like Dutch still life. Yeah, yes, yes. And of course, then you've got all the fruiting branches coming in too. Snowberries, one of my favourites. Rose hips, you know, bringing crab apple, all those sorts of things as well. Thanks for listening to us on Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about biennials because it's June and it's the time of year that a lot of things need to be sown for us to enjoy them next year. So tune in for us to be talking about foxgloves, wallflowers, honesty and all beautiful sorts of flowers that will fill the garden with beautiful colour next May and June. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.